Are you ready for some more XFL? I'm sure you are. Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 44th episode. The XFL draft is now complete. The league evaluated nearly 6,000 players at XFL showcases, NFL training camps, tryouts, and via film. The top prospects from those evaluations were invited to enter the XFL draft pool, which was said to be 1,700 players. And those players are vying for 528 spots in training camp, which will lead to 400 active player roster spots. The draft event led off with 15 quarterbacks being assigned to 8 XFL teams. And this was followed by two days of draft selections done by the teams. According to the league, there were 442 non-quarterback players selected in this draft, and 285 came with NFL experience. 273 player selections came from the past three draft classes of the NFL, 171 from the 2022 NFL Draft, 33 from the 2021 NFL Draft, and 69 from the 2020 NFL Draft. The league's picks also include 69 players who will be returning to the XFL from the 2020 league. In this podcast, I will speak to Greg Parks. Now, Greg is a football fan and an XFLboard.com contributor who writes about the league as a whole. He is also a wrestling fan and a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, PWTorch.com. We will talk to Greg about the XFL draft and more specifically the quarterback and player selections. Greg will lay out his take on the XFL's plans to fill out the rosters in the coming months leading up to training camps in January 2023. And what about that XFL ball? I call this episode Draft 2022. It features a smart football analyst with experience in three XFLs, two in the past, one in the present. Are you ready? As usual, we won't waste any time. Let's get started. All right, I'd like to welcome Greg Parks to the podcast. Now, Greg's been here before. And you might know him from uh, previous times he's been on this podcast or from reading his uh, his work on XFL board or online on social media. Now, Greg is a football fan and he's an XFLboard.com contributor who writes about the league as a whole. He is also a wrestling fan and a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, PWTorch.com. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me on again, Mark. Uh, you know, we, we've done a lot of talking about the business side of the XFL over the last two years or so and the decisions that the ownership and the league brass were making. It's nice to finally get to talk about players again. Don't you think it's refreshing that there's players (laughs) attached to these teams now? It's almost hard to believe that we've reached this moment, but here we are. Exactly. Now, these are not, this is not a roster. None of these teams have rosters yet. They have draft selections of course and i think we all know that uh so but it's it's getting towards the fact that they will have a roster to go to training camp and and which will be interesting as well we'll talk about that now the draft pool size was officially advertised as 1700 players but some were referring to it as 1900 what do you think was the real number there <laughs> i think the draft pool was just so fluid that it was really constantly changing, and I don't know. I know Jim Hazlitt referred to it as 1900 when he was at the Seattle Town Hall. 
uh, 1700-ish was kind of the number that was heard most often. I think when Doug Whaley and Russ Gillio did the uh, ITL call, I think they had it at about 1700. Um, that's probably what it ended up as. But, you know, they were adding to that draft pool up until the week before the draft. So would, would I expect Jim Haslett as head coach to know exactly how many players are in the draft pool? Probably not. Uh, you know, I think he's he's not in the weeds maybe that much on it. Um, so I, I would defer to uh, Whaley uh, for, for that number. But the bottom line is whether it was 1,700 or 1,900, it was a high number and probably a bigger number than in 2020 for the XFL. I know that they had released their draft pool, which I think came out to about 1,000 players. We also know that there were some players who were drafted who were not in the draft pool that was made public. So they were probably adding players up until the last minute as well. So they were probably a little over a thousand, um, but I don't think they had as many as that as were in this pool this year. We never got to see the list of players in a draft pool. Uh, I mean, many of them pointed out on social media they were uh, invited to the draft pool. An XFL analyst, I believe that's the user, had a Google sheet of players, but that sheet only had a few hundred players on it, right? Correct. And it was, you know, it was a pretty sizable amount when you when you think about it. Um, you know, maybe a quarter of, of the players in the draft pool, which is still you know pretty significant when you're talking about uh, 1,700 players overall. But yeah, I mean, it was a, most of the players um that were included there were kind of the the division three players or the players who had attended showcases it wasn't the you know the the high number of players that were drafted who had nfl experience those kind of guys uh those were not ones necessarily advertising their xfl player pool invitations on twitter as some others were so but yeah i mean it was still an impressive list and uh obviously i think the reason that the XFL did not make their draft pool public is first, it's hard to make public 1700 names, you know, how do you roll that out? But also because, uh, you know, you don't want the USFL to, to poach the players that you have in your draft pool before they can even be drafted. And so uh, there was no competition, the level of the USFL for the XFL when they did their draft in 2019. So there was no fear of uh, having another league come in and try to poach players from you. Right. Good point. Now, according to the XFL, they just released this a few hours ago, that uh, of the 442 non-quarterback players selected this week, 285 came from the NFL. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, that's they're pointing out what kind of experience the the players had and try to add some credits to the league, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there was always the, the question of, now that there are two leagues basically the same size competing for the same pool of players, was that going to dilute the talent pool that was out there? And I think we saw uh, from this draft for the XFL that the answer to that was no. Uh, certainly it's not as strong a pool as it would have been had the USFL not been around. But I think there it shows that there are a lot of talented football players out there who are willing to play in a a spring slash alternative league. And the XFL was able to take advantage of that. And they ended up drafting, as the XFL pointed out in that press release, a lot of players who had either NFL experience in a regular season or had at least been in training camps or something of that nature. 
So, uh, you know, good on the XFL for building a credible talent pool that, um, you know, they'll go to play with in 2023. Yeah, they, they're really, they really did. Yeah, it did do that. And you have to give them credit for that. And the XFL also pointed out how many players came from each of the NFL draft, uh, draft uh, each year's draft. Did you see that? Yeah, and, and that was, you know, that kind of lines up with uh, what was said on the ITL call where they talked about how they had a significant number of players from um, 2020, uh, the 2020 NFL draft class that were part of um, the, the draft pool here this year. And then 2020 and 2021 were, were other um, pretty sizable numbers. So that told me that the league was kind of going to skew younger. But we saw players drafted yesterday and today who were at part of the NFL draft class in 2014 and 2015. So I thought it was a good mix. You know, I thought maybe they would rely a little too heavily on younger players, but there was really a good mix of veterans, late 20s, early 30s, as well as those who are pretty fresh out of college. Yeah, you probably want that mix. Yeah. Yeah, you probably want that mix. Now, they said 171 were eligible for the 2022 draft class, 33 for the 2021 and 69 for the 2020. So you're right, it's skewed to the 2022 in that respect. Uh, and then the other, the other point is, according to the XFL, the this year's draft also included 69 players who played in the XFL in 2020. So there's some older veterans in there, right? Yeah, and that was uh, one of the things that the XFL did. Uh, they reached out to XFL 2020 players, offered them uh, an opportunity to be a part of this draft pool if they so chose. It was kind of an automatic invite to the uh, 2020, uh, 2022, I guess, draft pool. I never know whether to call it 2022 or 2023. We're drafting in the year 2022, but we're drafting four games in 2023. So I'm probably going to call it both on this uh, on this podcast. But yeah, those players from 2022 had that kind of automatic opt-in to the draft pool for this year. And it looks like a pretty significant number took advantage of it to have 69 players drafted from 2020. You know, it's a nice bridge. And, and there are a lot of XFL fans who rightly so look very fondly upon that 2020 season as truncated as it was and, and aren't always happy with XFL, the, the new class, not using some of the the ideas or or the creations of XFL 2020, and I'll give you an example. The the ball that was uh, released this week, along with the draft, uh, with Danny Garcia's signature. A lot of people, predictably, were upset that uh, they were not using the same style of ball from 2020. So I, I think to reach out to those players, not only is it a, a nice gesture. Um, you know, for uh, and it's not something this league had to do because it was not The Rock and Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital that plunged the XFL into bankruptcy. It was Vince McMahon. Um, but it was a nice gesture to those players for, you know, helping resurrect the XFL in a way and making it making it a a brand that was worth Garcia, Johnson and Redbird putting their money into it um, and and bring it back. And uh, it, it's good to see. Yeah, very good point. 
um, you know, we don't know exactly how much money they're they're sinking into this, but it is definitely uh, substantial. Mm-hmm. And the dollar figures may never be known, or at some point in time we'll know. Um, yeah, there's they have to put a lot of money to get a league going. I think we know that by now. Mm-hmm. We know that from the past XFLs. Yeah. Now uh, with the, uh, I think I think fans wanted they like the idea of each team having their own ball, a branded ball. Mm-hmm. I guess you know I guess that's not going to happen this time around. And uh, Danny Danny Garcia's signature looks great on that ball to me. I think it's great. Yeah, it's fine. I think the team branded balls was a nice change. Any time that you can do something to stand out from the competition whether it be the NFL or the USFL, I think you got to take advantage of it. And having those team-specific balls and having the balls designed the way they were was something simple uh, that could make the league stand out from the others. And the ball that they're using for next year is it's very basic. It's not very creative. And it, it does feel like more like the NFL ball. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think there is something to be said for that because anytime you redesign a ball um, – you know, the XFL did it in 2001. The XFL did it in, in 2020. The USFL tried to do it with the, putting the chip in it um, this past year. It's always going to be uncomfortable. There's always going to be growing pains for ball handlers, whether they're uh, quarterbacks or whether they're kickers and, and punters and things like that. And we heard complaints from players from the mm-hmm. USFL. We heard complaints certainly from players in the XFL, both mm-hmm. versions, because the ball was so different. So right. I think in that respect, it is good that the ball is is basically the same as it's going to be in the NFL, um, because if you you know little things like that can make a difference. And if you are and the XFL has made no bones about the fact that you know part of their goal is to get players into the NFL. They want players to graduate from the XFL into the NFL. It lends credibility to the XFL. It gets more eyes on the league. Um, And and what better way to prepare players for that than to to use the same ball the NFL is going to use. So I do get the reasoning for it, but you know, the, the difference in the ball is really, I think a microcosm of the difference between the previous incarnation of the XFL and the current one. Whereas the last XFL felt fun and a little uh, – it felt creative and it felt um, a little you – know, I don't know what the word is, but it felt different. Like it wanted to be different, and I think the ball was a shining example of that, whereas this XFL kind of feels stuffy. It feels very corporate, very sanitized for our protection. And that is represented in the ball we get. It's not very creative, you know. Uh, so the balls of both leagues do kind of feel like a visual representation of how that league has been presented. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right uh, about that. And the ball comes in a plain black box with the XFL's plain logo on it. So <laughs> there's nothing fun about that other than the fact there's a football inside. Uh, and you're right about every XFL so far, the ball has had a problem. This XFL, well, maybe the ball won't be any issue for anyone. It'll just be just like the NFL ball. So that's a good point. Uh, now, according to the uh, um, uh, when the league, uh, they did their quarterback selection this time. They assigned two quarterbacks to each team. Well, not quite. One team only got one quarterback. That's a little different because now last time around, they assigned one quarterback to each team. Mm-hmm. So what's your take on that? 
I think they did end up um, doing another quarterback allocation later on after the initial draft so that eventually every team did have two. But, uh, you know, I think part of it is just kind of taking advantage of what you have. And the XFL has access to a lot of pretty good quarterbacks. And we saw some, um, you know, even taken today as well, not just assigned, but I, I guess based on the release that was sent out you know, not that long ago, there was also a separate round separate from the open phase where teams were able to add um, as, you know, a third quarterback and a fourth quarterback as the San Antonio Brahmas did. Um, And those were quarterbacks who were pretty well known, you know, Cole McDonald out of Hawaii goes to Houston. So he's going to be playing a very familiar wide open offense, just as he did in Hawaii. Jack Cohn was taken. Uh, Cohn was a guy who, um, received a draftable grade in 2022 from, you know, some NFL draft scouts and he went to camp with the Indianapolis Colts. So these are guys, you know, they're not scrubs and there's still more out there quarterbacks who uh, could be taken in January around the time of the supplemental draft. So I think one of the big fears that I had was quarterback play is so integral to the success of a league and the quality of play on the field that determines the success of the league with the USFL, is there going to be enough competent quarterback play to go around? And I think what we've seen is, and we haven't seen them on the field yet, so just based on their name value and what they've done in the pros and in college prior to this, the answer to that seems to be yes. And and there actually seems to be some talent left over. So that's been one of the reassuring things for me coming out of this draft week is it looks like the XFL is going to be in good hands in terms of the quarterbacks. They've got some good quarterbacks already. There could be bigger name quarterbacks to come in January. Those who uh, whose USFL contracts expire players like Kurt Benkert, uh, who were just let go of the San Francisco 49ers practice squad. He's there's been mutual interest with him in the XFL. You know, any um, players who maybe we're not ready to join the XFL draft pool at this point, but towards the end of the NFL season, if they don't latch on with a the team, they may take that leap into the XFL at that point. So it's possible there's going to be some bigger names and even higher quality quarterbacks uh, come January. So it really seems that the XFL is flush with quarterbacks. It seems that way. Well, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to go too far on it. You know, I, I don't want to um, paint too rosy of a picture, but I think it is – it's not the worst-case scenario. It's, it's better than I expected. I'll say that. Right. And so even with the with the additional selections today that came out very late today, um, <clears throat> Arlington uh, took Kevin Anderson. Houston took Cole McDonald. Orlando took Mitch Kidd. Seattle took Brian Lewerke. St. Louis took Nick Tiano. San Antonio took two. Reed Sinnott, Jack Cohn, as you pointed out. D.C. passed – and Las Vegas pass. So they're just sitting pat with their two right now. And DC only has one. Oh, and DC only has one. Yeah. So you've but got they, one team with four quarterbacks and you've got one team with one. Right. So, uh, what's, so. <laughs> what's, what's DC's plan? DC has a plan though. What do you think it is? Well, it was Mike Mitchell who reported that Derek King um, would be one of the assigned quarterbacks to DC. And the night before, um, that was to happen. He signed with the Carolina Panthers practice squad. So he could not be 
assigned to DC. That's why they did. They only had one. They were the only team with one assigned quarterback during that phase. So presuming that King is made available at some point that, that he's released off the Panthers practice squad at some point. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not a coincidence that King who is a dual threat quarterback was signed by the Panthers the week that they play Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. So he is likely playing the role of Lamar Jackson on the scout team at practice this week. Who knows how long he will last on the team after this week. Um, But I would expect that when King is made available, he will be assigned to DC to give them two quarterbacks. Um, You, you know, you would think they'd protect themselves a little bit today uh, in the case, in case King does stay with, um, with the Panthers and just pick another quarterback, but Hey, you know, maybe there's no rush for them. And, and they know that the pool of talent in January is going to be deep at quarterback in case they need to add then. So, um, you know, uh, it is a little strange, but on the other hand, there there really is no need because they'll be picking again in the supplemental draft before uh, training camp begins. There's no mini camps uh, in December. Mm -hmm. So there's really no need to have, you know, three or four quarterbacks at this point, unless you, you want them. Yeah, so they're they're playing it close to the chest what they're doing. Uh, I find that fun and interesting. Uh, and and uh, did the USFL take a hit here? Now losing Kyle Sloter and what was there's another quarterback that got pulled out of the USFL. Luis Perez. Right, Luis Perez, of course. Yeah, how could I forget Luis Perez? Yeah, did they take a hit on this from the XFL? Yeah, and it and it wasn't just the quarterbacks. I mean, they there were uh, several players who opted out to sign with an NFL team this summer, and who were drafted into the XFL rather than go back to the USFL. So those are you know your highest level players, those who are doing that because they're signing with NFL teams, uh, even if they didn't end up making the team. So those are your highest level players from the USFL who are probably doing that. So you know they're going to take a hit for sure. Um, and anything can happen between now and January, right? We have more than a month to go before I think December 26th was the date that Doug Whaley gave on the ITL call when they, uh, when they want a commitment from these players that they will be attending training camp so that teams know what holes they need to fill for the supplemental draft. So there could be some funny business between now and then, uh, contracts are not signed, they won't be signed till training camp, likely for the XFL players. So there could be some funny business where the USFL tries to recruit some of these drafted players into the USFL. Um, there could be a bidding war, I guess, theoretically, although the whole idea of the USFL is to tamp down on costs. I can't really see them getting into a bidding war for players if that's still the case. Um, so, you know, I, I put that in the unlikely category, but again, you know, there are enough talented players to go around. The USFL is still signing players, even though it's their off season and they haven't had a draft yet. They've announced signings on Twitter and they've signed some pretty talented players. Um, so, you know, they'll, they'll make do for sure. But certainly I think when, when, when the XFL is taking some of your highest level players, especially at the quarterback position, and there's rumored to be more to come in January once contracts expire at the end of this year uh they'll take another hit there um but yeah certainly they'll take a hit but what level of a hit i, I don't think we know quite yet yeah it'll all play out uh, uh lucky for the usfl i i think the talent pool is out there that they, they yeah. can they can fill their ranks uh i noticed and you probably saw the video bob stoops made a point of 
calling Sal Canella when he drafted him and told him he was reuniting him with Kyle Sloter. Yeah, that's really smart. I mean, uh, Canella and Slaughter played on the same team um, in the USFL. They'll be playing on the same team again right. in the XFL. So, yeah, smart move for uh, the Renegades um, and their personnel department to get players who already have that connection. And, you know, training camp is, is going to be a week longer than it was for XFL in 2020. Um, but there's not going to be any mini camps. So there, there's very short turnaround time for these players and these teams to get familiar with one another, relatively speaking, a short turnaround time. So if you got guys who are coming into camp already with a familiarity, especially at the quarterback position with one of their receivers, then that's that's just a smart move. Right. I think the last time the XFL had the mini camps, as you pointed out. Yep. But they they released some players after the mini camps or during yes. the mini camps and then filled the ranks with fresh players. Because and and also this was the uh, uh, supplemental draft was earlier last year, mm-hmm. uh, but this year the 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 timing is different. But the XFL this year they will not have those mini camps to evaluate players, will they? No, and that's why you know the rosters expect them to be pretty stagnant between now and uh, training camp, and that's one thing that Doug Whaley did mention um, that. They're they're not they weren't planning on drafting a full roster of 66 players that they can take to training camp um, in this initial draft because they're not going to have a mini camp. They're not going to have an evaluation period for these teams to evaluate these players between now and the supplemental draft. And the league didn't think it would be fair if teams would have to release players. Um, with 66 being the max that they can carry to training camp, they would have to release players um, before the supplemental draft in order to add players in the supplemental draft uh, without seeing those players in camp. So uh, teams did not draft the full slate of 66. There were some open spots um, left. And of course, you know, you'll have players who don't report and who, who decide between now and December 26th, probably that maybe the XFL isn't for them. Maybe they'll retire. Maybe they'll get signed on with NFL teams. We've already seen players uh, on draft day as they were being drafted who were signing to NFL practice squads. So that's going to happen between now and then too. Those players won't be available to um, teams uh, immediately. So those are holes that will need to be filled with the supplemental draft as well. Right, right. Well, it's going to be exciting for uh, a lot of churn, a lot of players going in and out, I think, in the month of uh, January leading up to the kickoff. Uh, it'll be fun to watch. If you're a person that likes to uh, uh, watch player movements and see where they go, <laughs> that's like Greg is, then yep. you're going to be in your glory. So all the power for to sure. you, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish that on anyone. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's I, I love it, but I'm it, it's not I don't know how proud I am. that I love it. Let me just say that. <laughs> so who were some of the players the XFL passed on that you was surprised you a little bit? Oh, gosh, uh, I don't have that list in front of me. of players. I know that Mohamed Sanu was one of the players that um, the ESPN.com article had that was in the draft pool. NFL veteran, but he's on the wrong side of 30. And he's a wide receiver, so you're going to lose some speed as you get older. Um, so maybe not too surprising. Um, there are some other players, um, you know, some quarterbacks that that were in the draft pool maybe that um, were, were a little surprising that they, you know, some of the quarterbacks 
that even I'm not all that familiar with were taken over them. But I mean, that happens all the time, right? That happens in the NFL draft where you have these guys in the undrafted free agent period where you're just saying, how did this guy not get drafted? And we know that just like the NFL, um, there's going to be injuries in training camp and during the season. And the list of players who were not drafted, that list is that pool is going to carry over into the regular season. So that is a pool of players uh, that teams can draw from once the regular season begins. And whether due to ineffectiveness or injury, they need to replace players on their roster. They can draw from this pool. So it, it is in a way a good thing that there are still talented players who were not drafted because the league is going to need to replenish rosters throughout the season. And they'll be able to draw from this pool of undrafted players uh, from this week to do that. Right. So players who weren't, weren't drafted uh, should stay on their toes and wait for an opportunity. And, and, and with any uh, uh, good fortune, it might come to them. That would be my advice. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. It's tough advice, but it's true. Yep. It's tough advice. Because you know that one, uh, three quarters of the players in the draft pool never heard their name called, and you just know that. So I mean, all the all the power to those players to continue on looking for an opportunity. Uh, that's that's what I'd like to say. You know, I always interview a few players prior to the draft. I did in 2019. I did this time. I didn't interview as many this time because the last time I did that, a, a whole lot of the players I interviewed didn't get drafted, and I felt. Oh, geez, I hope it wasn't because they talked to me before, but of course it wasn't. Uh, but this time I interviewed a couple of players in the podcast last weekend, and one was Dwayne Wallace. Uh, Dwayne Wallace, an offensive lineman, uh, told me that he wasn't drafted in 2019, and when he, he thought he should be drafted, he went to a meet-and-greet with uh, Winston Moss, the head coach from L.A. there, and he told Winston Moss to draft him in the <laughs> supplemental draft, and it worked, and he got drafted in the supplemental well, Winston, I mean, uh, Dwayne Wallace made a name for himself because he got drafted. In the, yeah, that's in, cool. Yeah, so he made he got picked. Uh, obviously, some head coach didn't want him showing up at their meet and greet with his with his game <laughs> film this time, so they just drafted him straight up. So you know, all the power to uh, Dwayne Wallace and what he's done for his career, and and for the rest of them, the ones that weren't drafted. I, I mean, I feel for you. But for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things that we love about leagues like this is it gives players another opportunity, another avenue to ply their trade, to um, make, if not a career out of, of playing football, then to, to continue their career for a few years. And hey, you know, you play well enough. Uh, the NFL is not out of the realm of possibility, as we saw with the uh, players from 2020, as we saw with USFL players. So um, it, it's really cool to see players continue to strive for that dream and uh, continue to, to have a place where they can uh, continue playing uh, the game that they love. Yeah, exactly. Now, when that came time for the specialist draft, of course, the, the big news there is Arlington. Uh, they took both former Battlehawks uh, specialists, kicker Taylor Ruslino and punter Marquette King. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, Taylor Russolino went number one overall in the, yeah. in the specialist section, and he was uh, – they had a lot of good kickers in 2020, and, and we saw that because they got a lot of NFL opportunities uh, after that. But uh, Russolino was was up there as far as uh, one of the more talented ones, so not a surprise to see him get an opportunity. And Marquette King, um, 
you know, one of the best punters in the XFL in 2020, one of the best punters in the NFL for a time Yeah. Uh, while he yeah. punted for the Raiders. So, you know, he was one of the fan favorites in, in St. Louis, and I can't wait to see, um, you know, I'm hoping that the Renegades play the Battle Hawks in St. Louis because the fans in St. Louis always uh, yelled boom when he punted his uh, away there inside the Dome. So hoping that they, they bring that back if they play in the Dome this year. Yeah, that'll be, yeah, it'll be fun to see. And uh, both of those guys, that was some good picks. Uh, but yeah, how they how they match those two up back in, in now back in Arlington. Uh, the DC Defenders took two punters, Daniel Whalen and Jacob Shaman, no place kicker. Uh, what could be their plan be? I would say the same as the defenders in terms of the quarterbacks, you know, kind of see who's going to be out there. Again, there, there's no rush to add players of certain positions, you know, because there's no camp between now and the supplemental draft. So, you know, before you hit the field, you're going to have another opportunity to um pick players now that does kind of box you in a little bit it forces you to pick a player at that time so you know you hope there's somebody in that in that um supplemental draft you like uh the same thing here though that this pool of players is going to carry over to that supplemental draft so if everybody else took a kicker and you're the only one who hasn't even if you like a kicker who's in this draft pool you know that you can get him uh in january because it's going to be the same draft pool plus others. So why not take a second, a player to second position and, and create some competition once training camp starts. So I think that's a smart move. Yeah. Yeah. It, but definitely every, every team seems to take a different angle on this. And as they did the last draft in 2019, every team took a different angle. Uh, Orlando took uh, punter, Andrew ankle and two long, long snappers, Jose Borgales, and Tommy Auger, who's a, really a tight end, but now he's a long snapper. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, Borgales is actually a kicker um, out of the uh, University of Miami. So they did uh, draft a kicker uh. there. But, um, yeah, there's there were a couple players who were li- listed at uh, different positions. Um, Auger was listed as a tight end, but obviously he can long snap. I think there was another player who was listed at another position, but presumably would be um, long snapping. And, you know, that's how it used to be back in the day. You know, you, you yeah. before long snapping was a specialized position, you, you had to play more than one position. So this could be, you know, a player who um, attended either the specialist combine or whatever it was, and maybe had played another position in a prior life, but was trying long snapping to extend their career. And, and they showed out successfully enough for a team to draft them. Yeah, the long snapper is such a specialty, and if you can do it well, then you you have a longer life as a longer football career. That's really yeah. cool. Um, now, the XFL hit the open draft round just like they did in 2019, and again, I heard through uh, the back channels, they did this because they didn't want to give teams – they wanted to give teams time to inform players before they released the picks. Now, I don't, still don't get that. I don't get what they're getting at there because the first part of the draft – they were informing players as they picked. Yeah. I mean, what's the difference? Do you know? I don't. Um, and, and actually, you know, we actually got a little bit more clarity this time around than we did because in 2019, when they did the draft and they released the open phase players, they just l- listed an alphabetical list or maybe it was by position. Yeah. It yeah. didn't even say the draft position of it. But this time 
they actually listed like this is open phase one. This was the order of picks open phase two. This was the order of picks. So they, they actually had a little more transparency this time around for whatever it's worth. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I, that doesn't make sense because they presumably they were informing players throughout the draft as they right. were being selected. So I'm not sure um, why that would be any different during the open phase and why they would need more secrecy for it. Um, yeah. That I, I, I struggle to understand the uh, the meaning behind that. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever understand it that well. Uh, but it is what it is. So um, I know from my experience, everyone got really excited about it because they, they started messaging XFL board saying, where's the picks? And it, a lot of these were players and families of players. They were wondering if so-and-so was getting picked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now, I'm wondering about uh, – the, we talked about USFL, but – I wonder if we're going to see some XFL players come back from the CFL. And there's some there's some 2020 players that are having great careers in the CFL, like such as James Butler running back from the BC Lions and Dietrich Nichols, Dietrich Nichols, the defensive back from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and Jameer Thurman from the Calgary Stampeders. They're all having all-star seasons. Now, once the CFL season ends, I'm wondering if they'll look back to the XFL to come back to the XFL. Now, you probably don't know anything. You probably can't answer this question, but I'm wondering what you think about that. Yeah, I I don't know all that much about CFL contracts and when they expire. The the closest thing I can say is from 2001 when we had a sort of a mini influx of CFL players about halfway through the season. And I know – in 2020, there, the big news was S.J. Green, a uh, wide receiver who I guess was a CFL legend. Mark, I know you are more well-versed on the CFL than I am, uh, but he ended up being on the Tampa Bay Vipers roster for about two weeks before the pandemic hit. So I'm not sure what the contract status is in terms of when the contracts expire for CFL players. Uh, so I'm not sure when they would be able to rejoin the XFL if they so desired. And, you know, I know a lot was made of the 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 structure of the USFL contracts meant to prevent players from leaving to go to the XFL, uh, which apparently didn't work all that well, um, at least at first. So I'm not sure what kind of you know, what's in the CFL contracts, if there's anything that stipulates uh, anything to do with other alternative leagues or other secondary leagues. So maybe you can speak better to that about when when the contracts would expire and maybe when they would be even available to come to the XFL. Well, I know I know a little bit from back channels that uh, talking to somebody who's close to uh, Ranthony Tejada, who played for the Guardians in 2020. Now, he was He's up in the CFL, and he played for the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks, but he got released. Then he was picked up by the Montreal Alouettes. And my understanding, a week after the championship game, the Grey Cup, which is this weekend, he's going to be available for the XFL. And there's a thought that he might – there's some interest in him joining a team. His younger brother, Raleigh Tejada, Mm -hmm. was the first pick – of the defensive background uh, by the Houston Roughnecks. So his brother has already been drafted. Yeah. So, I mean, that family's got a lot of talent. <laughs> so maybe Ranthony Tejada will show the way and come back from the CFL. 
And my understanding is he wants to come back to the XFL. That's his okay. goal. And I mean, he's been uh, languishing up in the CFL and putting in his time and doing it, uh, you know, doing what he can to stay current, stay, stay uh, healthy and, and stay in football. But he wants to come back and play uh, in the United States. So. Yeah, so you know when we when we talk about the depth, uh, the potential depth of the supplemental draft, which could be even stronger than this draft, um, you know we talk about USFL players whose contracts expire at the end of the year, but also uh, CFL players if their contract yeah. expires between now and the end of the year, uh, then they could potentially be in the draft pool as well. Yeah, we'll have to look for that. Well, there's lots of exciting things coming up. Uh, I think that's all I had to. Uh, to discuss today was there anything else you thought we might want to want to go through before we uh before we say goodbye no i think that's it um you know just plugging the the stuff that i'll have on xfl board uh this weekend and, and into the next week where i'll i'll take a look at all the team's drafts and kind of analyze it and give my thoughts on it and, and perspective on it and we'll have some other cool stuff uh, lined up as well so uh, make sure to check throughout the weekend throughout early next week uh, to xfl board because i'll have a lot of stuff a lot of uh, a lot of columns and uh, a lot of breakdowns of the draft there. So there's lots to break down about the draft. And if you missed it, uh, Greg already broke down the quarterback uh, selections that were done on the 15th. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ranked the selections and how he feels what were the best, uh, who who got away with the who had the best uh, choices and invite uh, and, and all the way down the list. So if you haven't seen that article, check it out. It's pretty good, pretty in depth. Good analysis, Greg, and I really appreciate what you do and and all, and all your knowledge of football. It's always exciting to talk to you. I appreciate it, Mark, and I appreciate you uh, offering me this platform. So um, yeah, it, it's it's been fun. All right, so that was Greg Parks. Check for his articles on XFLboard.com and uh, and online on on Twitter. At Greg M. Parks for however long Twitter's up anymore, because <laughs> that, that's certainly up for debate at this point. But uh, if you if it doesn't go down this weekend, at Greg M. Parks is where you can find me. Right. So as long as Twitter's Twittering, at Greg M. Parks, <laughs> you'll find him. Thanks, Greg. Thanks. Thanks again to my guest, Greg Parks. It's always fun to hear your take on the XFL. I look forward to your coming articles on XFLboard.com where you further break down the draft picks. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. You are welcome to come back next time where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast.